been Alicia Field Recordings, and I've been the host of Ryan, and today's special show has been a, a look at the discography of the record label creation records. Thanks for listening, and up next is Living Writers. of Jamaican music. I'm Brian Thompson. Join me as we listen to ska, rock, steady, and early reggae music every Tuesday from 7 to 8 p.m. on the train to Scottville, right here on WCBN FM, Ann Arbor. Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel today. Emma Straub is here in the studio picking great music like this Doris Day number. Hello. Emma, welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, this is fun already. Well, it's good. It's good to see you. And um, long may it last this fun. Yeah, yeah. And we've got Mike here. He's behind the glass with Tex Engineering today. Um, and let's see. Before further ado... I'll say Emma Straub is here um, with her her first, her debut novel, Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures. And true. we also have, true, true enough. <laughs> I am not, you can call me, you can say liar if anything like, <laughs> comes out that isn't true. And we also have on the table your collection of short stories, Other People We Married. Also true. Also true. (laughs) And also out with Riverhead Books. Yes. And a quick shout out to Claire McGinnis. Um, Claire. I would lie down in the railroad tracks for Claire. She's a goddess. You hear that, Claire? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And here, the short bio from the back of Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures. Emma Straub is from New York City. Her fiction and nonfiction have been published in Tin House, the Paris Review Daily, Time, Slate, and the New York Times and she is a staff writer for Rookie. Straub lives with her husband in Brooklyn, where she works as a bookseller. You have a very good radio voice. You do. It just sounded so good, everything you just said. I mean, even though it's just my bio, it was like, it sounded really good. I I like this show. This is my new favorite show. Thank you. Mike, will you tweet that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna be that that's gonna figure into the conversation a little bit here um because one of the first things that i also loved where i thought oh 
your sense of humor, Emma, was that you have a Tumblr, the Emma Straub's Life in Pictures. Um, I didn't get a chance to scroll. How long have you been? How long has that been uh, hmm. up and running? Well, I, I started the Tumblr a while ago. I mean, way before the book came out. But then I changed it so that it was called Emma Straub's Life in Pictures. <laughs> um, Smart well, cookie. <laughs> because, I mean, originally it was it was called Emma in Pictures, which was sort of close, but I, I mean, and I, I liked the idea, you know, that I have all these other places like Twitter and Facebook and places like that where I can, you know, broadcast my inane thoughts into the universe but i didn't have a place to put pictures so so i like the idea of of um you know having a more visual diary and yes it, it works very well with laura lamont's life in pictures so now we've yeah. got our lives in pictures together Perfect. It sounds like you need a theme song. <laughs> I do. Well, and you know, I I must say I I just the most recent picture that I put up I just took outside on the campus, which is a picture of like a, oh. a um is it the emergency call box? Yeah, it's it's an emergency call box, you know, which if somebody's you know running after you or you're going to get you got your wallet stolen or something, I don't know why you push it. Um but you push a button and there's a little photograph of Hanson, the band Hanson just above the call button. So I'd like to think you're, that's who you're calling for help. I would call them for help. They each have like 14 children already. Right. It, it's it's the Hanson of, well, they haven't aged, at least in the picture. No, they're, but, yeah. I mean, they are. And you know what? I have seen pictures of them recently. And that middle one, who was always the beautiful one, is even more beautiful now. I mean, that is a good looking boy. That is a good looking boy. So yeah, let's call him for help. Let's call him right now. Let's tweet at him. Or something. I noticed that you didn't pick Hanson as one of your your groups of, with the songs. And, <laughs> and no. why did you pick the first one, Emma? Oh, <laughs> so, first one. so the song that you just heard is Doris Day singing "K Sera Sera," um, and it's the song that I'm going to try. I'm like hiding under the microphone right now because I'm so like mortified and horrified about what's going to happen. But it's a song that I, I'm planning to sing um, with the magnetic fields uh on the tour that we are starting with them tomorrow um so if you come tomorrow to the crowfoot ballroom in pontiac michigan you will see i will read to you first and then i will try to play the ukulele and sing that song and i am terrible at both things so I don't know what's gonna happen. We'll how did, okay, how did this come to be then? And I, first of all, I don't believe you. But how oh did no, this whole unfortunately, thing... it's really, really, really true. Well, how long have you played the ukulele? Played no, the ukulele. How... Um. Well, I wanted to play the ukulele, um, and so I said something on Twitter about how I wanted to learn how to play the ukulele, and then, um, this girl I know this writer other writer named Chloe Caldwell she said oh well we sell those at my dad's store I'll send you one so she sent me this little pink ukulele um and then actually I I said to Stephen Merritt who's in the magnetic fields that I wanted to learn how to play the ukulele and he actually gave me one too so I, now I have two um and they're both what, pink. What, what is that? Is that a flock of ukuleles? Yeah. This is a pride of ukulele. <laughs> um, so now I have two. I I know exactly three chords. Um, That's enough. It is enough. It's I'm. 
the chords, I'm okay with the chords. What I'm not good at is the strumming. No, that's... Or the singing. I mean, really. I know, you think I'm exaggerating, but like, I mean, Mike, I'm just going to refer to my husband. Yeah, he's he is, nodding. He is nodding. He's just nodding. Just as a visual it's for just, everyone. <laughs> it's just no good. It's, it's just no good. Well, it sounds like a good time, though. <laughs> <laughs> Which is going to happen in Pontiac, Pontiac. T- tomorrow night, yes. the Crowfoot, yes, the Magnetic come. Fields. Yes, come. And then the Magnetic Fields will sing, too. And they are very good at singing and playing their instruments. And, but how unusual to have, and how wonderful, I might add, to have you reading to start it off. How yeah. did that happy? Is it a happy accident? Or what was... Well, was it plotted? Like, what happened? So I... um. I have known the magnetic fields for a very, very long time. When I was in college, um, or just when I was just out of college, I got a job at a publishing company for six months, and I hated it so much. And then um, I got a job working at, as Stephen Merritt's personal assistant, um, which was wonderful. It was my favorite job. I loved it. I would take his pants to be hemmed and buy dog food and alphabetize his song lyrics and things like that. Dust the ukuleles. Dust the ukuleles. Um, well, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, organize the ukuleles, print out labels and label all the ukulele bags and boxes and things. Um, and I... After that, I started going on tour with them whenever they went on tour. And I went on tour with them once. Um, we came to Detroit, actually, on this tour in 2004, which was a couple of years after I started working for him. And I was so miserable. I cried every day. It was just like, I was just not good at it. was just a bad time because of the tour because of the tour not detroit <laughs> no not <laughs> not because of detroit i was interested in detroit i had never been um uh-huh. but then on the next so but that that was just like the little first leg and so for the second leg of the tour i was like hey guys you know i think this would really be a lot better if i brought my boyfriend um and so my boyfriend who's now my husband came with me and started doing all the hard work and it was great. It made it so much better. Whereas, so I could just do the parts that I was really good at, which was, you know, talking to the customers and, I mean, talking to the fans, you know. And I, I mean, so it's been, um, I guess, eight years that we've been touring with them, 10 years that I've worked for them. So, so I know a lot of their fans now. And so they come up, you know, I mean, the, they come up to us at the merch booth and they bring us presents and I mean they're just wonderful they're wonderful people I mean they bring me chocolate because they know I like chocolate it's really a good system Um, and we went on a really long tour with them in the spring for six weeks and it was like the longest hardest tour that we'd been on with them just like planes every day go 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 and we were not going to do it again. We were like, okay. You know, my my book was about to come out, and it just seemed... Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures. Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures, a novel that is a perfect Christmas present for all of your loved ones. Or Thanksgiving present. Any... any Diwali! It's a Diwali present! Um, uh, yeah, so we, we weren't going to... We were sort of planning to hang up our merch boots but then um my husband was talking to claudia gonson who's the pianist and the manager for the band and uh she said you know we're planning on doing just this one week 
in November. Um, you guys wouldn't want to come, would you? And he said, well, we'll come if Emma's the opening act. And they were like, that's great. That's perfect. I mean, yeah. it makes everything easier for them um, <laughs> because we're there anyway, you know, and we... we but that um, is, that's great. It's very sweet. It's very sweet that it's, they asked me to like do it. And it feels like all in the family. It like, in really a way, does. It feels- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, they, they really, at this point, I mean, I they are... They are our family members, for sure. I mean, we are, you know, the godparents to Claudia's daughter. I mean, we, like, my whole family loves them. And, yeah, there there are people. <laughs> for good or for good or bad, they're ours. <laughs> so, so this is, t- so tomorrow, everyone, like, there are tickets available. Uh, yep. Crow Football Room in Pontiac. Um, Emma Straub and the Magnetic Fields. And... We should mention tonight. So if you're driving in your car right now, you can set your course for Royal Oak, Barnes and Noble, where Emma, you will be reading tonight at seven o'clock. Yes. And I promise not to sing. Um, (laughs) 7 p.m. It's going to be, I don't know what it's going to be. I've never been to Royal Oak. I hear it. I hear it's very nice. Um, And you'll be reading from Laura Lamont's Life and and Pictures. that, That I promise to do. Yes. And I will be wearing my party dress and I might even put on some lipstick to try to look presentable. Um, yeah, that's the plan. 7 p.m. Royal Oak, Barnes and Noble. You're good. You're good. <laughs> and you're so you're so comfortable in in the radio station because you were also a DJ in in college. I was. I went to Oberlin College. Um and I <laughs> I wanted to have a radio show. <laughs> my freshman year and I mean I I am I am an early bird like I I'm like a 90 year old woman basically and have always been so and like my body wants to go to sleep at around 9 30 p.m right always every night like that's my preferred bedtime but of course I was a freshman and they don't hand over the plum spots to freshmen so my first radio show was on from 2 to 4 a.m right oh my god it was i can't believe i ever stayed awake it was jazz my first show was just jazz and i just i played like the same records every single week nobody listened to it how do you know I'm sure you have callers <laughs> and a follower. <laughs> I had um, my one of my closest friends from college was an insomniac. And so she was awake and she would sometimes tape it for me while I was at the radio station. Um, <laughs> oh, taping. Taping. Yeah, that was a thing that happened. <laughs> oh, God, I'm so glad that those tapes don't exist anymore. Almost blue. That's what it was called. How dep- like that is a depressed eighteen-year-old right there. <laughs> Almost blue. That was the name of your show. So what happened when you moved up and in, in, into like the the other hours? Uh, well, so I never moved very far because I wasn't very good. But I, I I ended up with more of like a free form. I think they called it. Yeah, show. just like WCBN. Yeah, it was FM like Ann Arbor. <laughs> yeah, it was like I could play anything I wanted. Um, but it was still I still mostly played really depressing sad music like there was a lot of like Elliot Smith and Jeff Buckley and like Rufus Wainwright and the Magnetic Fields I'm so glad you did 
Me too. <laughs> Let's take a short break and we'll come back. Sure. Today, Emma Straub is here. Her novel, Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures, short story collection, Other People We Married. We've got living writers. We'll be right back. Tears have stained all the pages. So yeah, welcome that's... back to Living Writers. <laughs> <laughs> we're, despite the tone of the song, we're having a good time. <laughs> we're having a grand old time, and that that was that was the magnetic fields that you just heard singing Busby Berkeley dreams. Emma Straub picking the songs. Guest today in studio on Living Writers, Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures from Riverhead Books, um, just out this year. It's good that you only have living writers in the studio. We tried. (laughs) We tried the alternative. (laughs) Sorry, people must make that joke all the time. Oh, I make it. I always actually felt awkward about it. I inherited the title, and it's a fine one because it's like... You know, it's yeah. nice to jokingly say, because people will say, well, I'm alive and I write, yeah. so I guess I qualify. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, yes. I feel very qualified. I feel doubly qualified right now. I do. <laughs> that your zest for life is apparent. And so is, you know, Stephen Merritt's, even though yeah. <laughs> it's very sad. The 69 love songs, right? That's, yeah. Um, yeah. They're the best. It's, it's, it's epic. Um and so if you if you don't have a you know your own copy of it you can go out and get that as well as Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures um tonight Emma Straub um after you leave the studio you'll be going to Zingerman's to get yes a, a picnic for the drive yeah something like something chocolatey i bet they have good cakes and things cookies yeah and chocolates and and gelato everything mm-hmm. so okay. um yeah this <laughs> so we'll hurry up and get you out of here and on your way so that you can also make it to the barnes and noble and royal oak tonight seven o'clock for your reading there and um and emma you're a bookseller um when you're not um traveling with the magnetic fields and writing novels and tweeting <laughs> and <laughs> sometimes i get to tweet at the bookstore so that's like really you know killing two birds with one stone um but yes i work at a bookstore called book court in brooklyn and cobble hill um and i love it i just love it it's so much fun i mean because i'm a, i'm a bossy person deep down inside i just am i like to tell people what to do and what to read yeah and it's really fun i mean because you would be shocked or at least i was shocked when i started working there that a lot of people maybe even the majority come in and say i don't know what to read what should i read and you just get to say oh well you need to read 
whatever I am obsessed with at the moment, you know? And so I sell a million copies of like, um, Elaine Dundee's The Dud Avocado, which is this like, was this out of print book that was reprinted by the New York Review of Books Classics. It's, it's hilarious and like raunchy and funny. And, um, it's about a girl going to Paris or like, um, what else do I really like to sell? My friend Marcy Dermansky wrote this book called Bad Marie that's also about a girl running off to Paris. So sometimes I sell those together. It's about a girl who steals her friend's um, daughter, who she is nannying, and runs off to Paris. Has an affair with the husband, then runs off to Paris. Also hilarious. Yeah, no. it is. It is hilarious. Um <laughs> You know, what What else do I really love to hand sell? Um, I mean, Donna Tartt's The Secret History is like the easiest book in the world to hand sell because if someone is going on vacation and they haven't read it yet, then I just like, I just feel like I'm reminding them to like pack toothpaste. Like it's so, it's such a no brainer. It's like, oh, you haven't read this? Guess what? You're going to love this. Here you go. Um, it yeah. almost sounds like you're, like this work too can be, is a type of activism. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like people come in and they're like, oh, I want the Da Vinci Code. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> Nuh-uh. Here, read the secret history. It's a mystery. And it's so much smarter and better. Like, you want dead languages? I'll give you dead languages. <laughs> like, and like weird incest and like murder and a guy named Bunny. I mean, come uh, on. That's tops. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah, so for independent bookstores, actually bookstores everywhere, even if you're part of a consortium, yeah, um, it's this walking in and not knowing, which is, we have to remember, this is so important. It's like the community it's of the bookstore so and of ideas. Right? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, like, I... Yeah, it's so important. The computer can't do that. You know, you can't walk in. I mean, you know, there there are lots of sites. I mean, there's, you know, Amazon and Goodreads and I'm library thing. Like, there are a lot of websites that are, you know, good at, um, you know, that have algori al like algorithms. So. Um, but they're just algorithms. I mean, that's not as much fun at all all as a human it is it's interesting that you use the term hand selling because i hadn't heard that before, oh yeah but that's oh that's and it's the a artifact real of the thing. book yeah i just i actually i have a um uh i have a list in this this book called read this which was published in september by coffee house by a small press oh yes coffee um, house yeah and it, of the show yeah and uh this it, this book was edited by this guy Hans at a bookstore in Minneapolis called Macabers, and it's 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 called Read This, and it's a compilation of fifty lists uh, written by booksellers of their favorite books to hand sell. We each picked, I think it's a hundred books. I can't remember, but it's like your favorite oh, books and you get to write a little bit about you and know you're in there yeah too. Oh, yeah wonderful and it's amazing and you can you know there are, it just sort of proves that there are there are some books that everyone loves to sell and there are some books that um you know are far more like niche oriented um but you know that any 
any person standing behind a counter in a bookstore, whether it's a Barnes and Noble or an indie or anything else, they are going to have a hundred books in their head that they want to sell you and that they've read and that they love. And I mean, if you just give them a chance, it's amazing. I mean, that's, you know, there are so many books that I've read um, just because friends of mine and fellow booksellers have told me to, and they're usually right. And it's the right time for them yeah. to, to oh, come yeah. into oh, yeah. And so, Emma, growing up, your your dad's a writer as well. Mm-hmm. He is. And, Peter Straub, we like to call him Big Pete. <laughs> so how did that influence your early years as as with Big Pete and we, Emma? Like, <laughs> he's going to kill me. If, he was, if he's listening to this, he's going to kill me. I'm, I'm sorry. His name is Peter Straub. He's not called Big Pete, except he really is called Big Pete. Um <laughs> It was great. It was great growing up with a writer. I mean, you know, to me, it it just made writing seem like a normal job that people could actually do. Um, And I think that's, you know, I think that's a a hurdle that a lot that most people have to overcome that, you know, they think, oh, how could I possibly do that? That's not a that, you know, that seems like a fantasy. Um, But I saw that, you know, it's not at all a fantasy. It's a job like anything else that you have to really go to and do every day and you know whether you are feeling inspired or not um you know you just have to sit down and put your butt in the chair and and write so when you were a kid you would see your dad sitting there writing yeah and still writing like an hour later writing (laughs) oh just writing writing all day um you know and i i mean i was sort of horrible as a child because i never cared that he was trying to work like i would just go into his office and like to start talking about all my children or, you know, whatever I was interested in. All my children, the The soap soap opera, opera. not my actual children. Um, But the soap opera, um, which was a shared passion of ours. R.I.P. All my children. It's so sad that it's gone. It's really, it's just terrible. Soap operas should live forever. Um, Sorry, that was a side note, but it's true. Maybe that could be one of the the next novels. You know, I I really, I really have thought about (laughs) it. What's happening with them? Yeah, well, and I, you know, I mean, my, (laughs) so, I mean, if you want to talk about my dad, this is a slightly silly, goofy way to do it, but um, entertaining for the radio. Um, So my dad and I, when I was like 12-ish, were really obsessed with all my children. Like we would watch it in the summers every day together while we ate lunch. Um, And then I went to summer camp and I was like, Dad, you have to watch every single day and write me a letter and tell me what happens. Um, So he did. And at first he didn't know who the people were. So he'd be like, skull-faced guy comes (laughs) in. (laughs) And he would make stuff up. And like Erica Kane, you know, would like start murdering people because that's what happens in his books. Um, And I would sort of have to wade through. But eventually he, I could tell. He was hooked. He was hooked. But then something funny happened and he started taking a nap in the middle of the day. And his nap... (laughs) <laughs> shifted his focus, his lunchtime, so that he was no longer watching All My Children, but instead watching One Life to Live, which was on one, one hour later. And and then he watched One Life to Live for, you know, the next 20 years. So one year for Christmas, my mother arranged for us to have a tour of the studio of One Life to Live, which was shot um, on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, very close to my parents' house. So we went on a tour, and it was just amazing. We loved it. And he brought 
um, copies of some of his books to give to his favorite actors on the show, just to put in their little actor mailboxes. And (laughs) two of these actors um, who both played policemen on One Life to Live, uh, Detective John McBain and Bo Buchanan, who was the chief of police, I think. Um, Sorry. This is a very long story. Um, (laughs) And anyway, to to try to make it short, even though it's too late, um, my dad got to be best friends with these two guys, these two actors. They are best friends. And my dad has now been on the show, was on the show like eight times. They gave him a part... Playing a Did bl- he get to write any of no, it? No, he didn't get oh. to write it, but he played a blind retired police detective named Pete Broust, <laughs> which is an anagram for Straub, and it was amazing. Sorry, that's my long, long, long story. Soap operas are good. And in high school, you had a, a an advice column and you wrote poems. Yeah, I wrote poems. I gave people advice. Only people didn't really ask me for advice very much. So I had to make up the questions. Um, <laughs> what was the favorite question that you asked or the toughest question you asked yourself, Emma? Well, mo- uh, well m- what happened most of the time was that my, my friends would write questions that were really about me. Like, I'm in love with my math teacher. What should I do? And so I would have to answer the question about me, which was like, write him a love poem on the back of your quiz, which is what I did. <laughs> and this advice, good advice to this day. Yeah. <laughs> all of, all it, of you it worked. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a short break as we go towards the creepy factor and then we'll come back and we'll, and we'll hear more. Let's hear, we'll hear some of Laura Lamont's life in pictures. That sounds right, good. Emma? Yes. Okay. Yes. Emma Straub here today on Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, I'm glad you did. Today on the program, Emma Straub is here um, on Living Writers. Her novel, Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures. And I'm just sort of still laughing a little bit because it's such a great song, the psychedelic verse. Yeah. um, So I was just telling T that the reason that I picked Pretty in Pink is because um, I did... An event. I did two separate events this fall, um, one with Molly Ringwald and one with Andrew McCarthy, both of whom starred in that movie. I'm actually wearing my Molly Ringwald dress. Um, oh. I call it that just because I wore it to that event, and so now I think of it. <laughs> you just associate. Um, yeah, I mean, they are both amazing, I have to say. Like, Molly Ringwald, I don't know if you've read her book, When It Happens to You. 
she published a book. Um, it's uh, a novel in stories, and um, it's fabulous. It's fabulous. I mean, it's like smart and funny, and like has a really warm heart. Um, and didn't she work with Cindy Sherman on Cindy Sherman's one film? Oh, she, like the Office Killer. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Is it good? I yeah. Seen I haven't it seen it in a long time. I mean, I saw it then, I think. Um, but yeah, no, Molly Ringwald is so super awesome. I can't say enough great things about her. And I just love her. What are these events? Like, is it when you were reading your book and she was reading yeah. her book? Or, yeah. Or so? Yeah. That, that event was just the two of us reading um, and talking, which was and just, dancing. We did. We didn't dance. someday. someday we'll dance. Um, but then the event that I did with Andrew McCarthy um, was on my pretend talk show. I had a pretend talk show. Yeah, it was like everything I've always dreamed of my entire life. It, my guests were Andrew McCarthy, Stephen Merritt from the Magnetic Fields, um, my friend Maris Kreitzman, who runs a really, really wonderful blog on Tumblr called Slaughterhouse 90210, which is <laughs> just the most genius thing in the world. Yes. Um, and Ira Glass from This American Life. And it was so much fun. And Andrew McCarthy was such a good sport. I was wearing a pink dress and he came out and the first thing he said to me was, you, are, you look pretty in pink. <laughs> and I... It was like I died, I died on the spot. Um, and his book is fabulous. Also, um, the long way home. Wait, the longest way home. The long way home. Oh, I'm forgetting. I'm getting it mixed up. But um, it's a it's a memoir really about um, travel because he really works as a travel writer now, and um, about getting married. And I mean, it was so good and so interesting. And I was like, I mean, I I sort of forgot that he was my like first heartthrob because and, I just liked his book. And is this talk show, like, is it something ongoing? Can people watch it or is it something that was no, it performed was, for the moment? Yeah, or? it was just, it was just a one, one time deal. Um, but I think, I mean, I had so much fun that I think I'll do it again. My friend, Dan Wilbur is a comedian. Like, so you're already my, organizing was, your next panel. Well, he was my, guests. he was my, he was my sidekick. He was my Ed McMahon. It was great. I had so much fun. I mean, my parents were like sitting in the front row and just laughing at everything I said. Like, it was great. That's, you can't beat that. You can't beat that. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so Emma, what happened with um your poems? Are you still writing poems? Like, what happened to that poem to the math teacher? Oh, um, I, I mean, I'm friends with all of those teachers, almost all of those teachers on Facebook now. Um. Wow. They're all they're all still really good looking, I gotta say. <laughs> I mean, I my friends always teased me for being the teacher's pet and having crushes on all my teachers. But you know what? They were smart and cool and I thought they were cute, so there. And nothing ever happened. I did go on one date with one teacher from my high school after I graduated when I was like nineteen or twenty, and it was a disaster. Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> but but back to the poems. Mm. <laughs> oh, um, you know, I didn't. I don't know. I don't. I don't really write poems anymore. I mean, I saw every very, 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 very rarely. But um, but that's where you started. That's for some I reason, started. it felt like. And and then I was reading one of your past interviews, and yeah. it felt like because you were like 
superstar right in high school. Yeah. And then it felt sort of like it was a bit crushed out, yeah. out, out of you in undergrad or. Yeah. yeah, I I was. Yeah. I mean, I, I like won all these prizes in high school and I thought I was like really probably the best poet who ever existed. And then I went to college and it just wasn't like that. I was like, oh, my God, what is going on here? Um and, and that was probably the accurate. Oh, that was for a sound sure. clip. <laughs> yeah, like, huh? This is what my brain sounded like that whole time. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just wasn't. I I didn't. I wasn't getting the same sort of feeling out of it either. Like it wasn't. It just wasn't quite right. And then I started writing um, novels. Novels. Did you go right yeah, to the novel? I did. Yes. I did. When I graduated from college, I started writing novels. And <clears throat> excuse me. And um they weren't very good either but i but i at least felt like i was getting better as i was writing them um and i wrote all these books that got rejected all over the place how many emma because that's a like that's (laughs) it's a lot of pages there were three three novels at that point um that i wrote that got rejected which was fine i mean i honestly i think that if I, i told you before that i am very bossy if i could boss around all the writers in the world, I would make them all have books rejected at least once, preferably twice, but at <laughs> least once. And I would have them all work at a bookstore because I think that those because you things, are right. <laughs> well, because I have figured some things out. Yeah. Um, but I because I think I mean, I think it's good to be rejected because then it just makes you work harder and it makes you want it more. And, and you're it, not scared of it anymore. And you're not scared and you're not so sensitive. I mean, like now, like, you know, if I get good reviews, I think that's great. And then if I get a bad review, I don't care at all. All. I really don't care. Um, and I think that's really valuable um, thing for a writer because, it, you know, you get rejected all the time. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, it's it gives you a thicker skin, which I think you need as a writer. Um, and working at a bookstore, I think, is good because it, it, it sort of opens you up. It opens your eyes um, to sort of everything else that's out there. Mm. And, you know, I think being a writer... Uh, can get very sort of solipsistic where you can think, you know, oh, I'm the only, I'm the only, I'm the only book. Oh my God, my book is coming out. It's the only book that matters. It's the only book in the world. Um, but then, you know, when you book at, work at a bookstore, you, you see all the boxes coming in and you know how big the lists are from the publishers and how many books exist. I mean, you know, there are thousands of books in and, every bookstore. And you you use that just as sort of a balancing mechanism. It doesn't stifle you at no all. no I I mean I think it's inspiring and um humbling you know it's it's it it does balance I mean I think balance is a good word it sort of balances out your um sort of hubris and like you know you think yes what I'm doing is important but it's also not that important like there are other things there are other books like I'm not the only writer in the world I'm not the the only special flower there are a lot of special flowers and and so it seems like I, I'm guessing at this now. So you'll have to correct me, Emma. If so, the stories were what sort of started shaping. You had those novels, then you decided to go to an MFA program mm-hmm. in Madison, Wisconsin. Yep. yep. Um, 
which is where your family's from originally. Yeah, my, my entire family is from is from Wisconsin, and my parents both went to um, UW Madison, which is where they met. And um, wow, so that was a strange is home. Well, and Lori Moore is there, but how? Yeah. why did you go there? Um, because they let me in. <laughs> And I was overjoyed that they let me in. And so I went and I loved it so much. I mean, you know, I think a lot of writers um, sort of poo-poo the MFA experience, but it just meant so much to me. And it, it, uh, it did so much for my writing. I mean, it made me better and it made me focus. And, um, you know, it really is this beautiful present that you get this, you know, two or three years, depending. I know the program here is three years, which is even better. Um, you know, that you, you just get all this time to just focus on your work. And yeah, I mean, to work with Lori Moore was amazing. I just, I worshipped her and... Before you went, so that was yeah, a reason to go. Yeah, and, and and I mean, now, you know, I was there the other night and had dinner with her. And I mean, she's just hilarious and funny and beautiful and wicked in all the right ways. Um, and... Yeah, it just it, it meant so much to me. I mean, to to be there. Why the shift with the stories then, Emma? How did that happen? Like, did that just were you just starting to write something that felt it was the world of a story rather than the world of a novel? Or yeah, well, or was I, I that really, what was encouraged? Or yeah, I mean, I think you know, people in it, it's a lot easier to workshop short stories, and so the MFA program in general is is geared towards stories. Um, and so that's what I started writing there. I mean, I, I was, I'd been working on a novel. Um, I had just started working on a novel sort of in little pieces, um, when I started at Madison. So I could, so I stayed working on those little pieces, but then I started writing stories as well. Um, and about half the stories in the collection are things that I wrote for the, for the MFA. Um, and about half were things that I wrote after. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I never... Um, I, it, it is backwards that I started with novels and then I, <laughs> then I moved into stories. No, no, it's, well, they're, they're just different beasts, yeah. right? Yeah, and they so are. It's interesting to think that then you kind of move to the short story beast. Yeah, and yeah. Then, it's and a very then. nice beast. I'm, you know, outside Zingerman's today, we met the, really the best beast I've ever seen, which was like a, a chocolate lab puppy who was like six weeks old. Now that is a beast I would like to take home with me. Um, but the short story beast was, was very nice as well, um, with a waggly little tail. Um, and yeah, I love it. And I, and I actually miss writing short stories, um, because I, you know, then I started working on Laura Lamont and, um, it was, you know, how did that start? Like why, why Laura Lamont? And did she come to you as Elsa first or what, what was the genesis? Yeah. So she, she came to me, um, in an obituary um <laughs> obituaries are really good places to get ideas i got to say um so i read the obituary this was about two years ago ish now um maybe more two and a half years um i read the obituary for this actress named jennifer jones who i didn't I, who i had never heard of um, i mean i sort of heard the names of some of her films um, I really I love old movies, but I'm not like a crazy movie buff. Like I don't know everything, everything. Like you may have seen her in films, right? But, but I, not but know yeah, it. I didn't. I wasn't really. Um, I didn't know much about her. Uh, but her 
obituary was amazing. It was amazing. It was four or five paragraphs. It was not that long. Um, but what really struck me about it was that it was so dramatic. I mean, she had these super high highs, like she was, you know, she won an Oscar, but then uh, one of her children committed suicide. And I mean, you know, there were, it was very dramatic and it was so different in scope than what I was working on at the time. I was working on another novel idea um, that I really, I loved that, you know, that it was like as far away from stories about you know, young people as you could possibly was get. It was the whole trajectory. It was more of a soap opera. Exactly. In a way yeah. Or... I mean, it was everything. It was drama, drama, drama. Um, and it covered, you know, when I started to, to sort of hone uh, my idea, you know, so I, I copied down her uh, obituary, but then I, I, I didn't look at it after that because I didn't want it to really be actually about Jennifer Jones. Um, but so I made this outline and you know, it covered 50 years. And I just, I was so, I was so into that idea of, of writing this whole life, this big, ambitious, juicy book. <laughs> so that's what I did. I hope that's and, what I tried to do. And, and you did, um, you went to Hollywood for research. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Uh, Maybe, let's take a short break and then we'll come back. We'll talk about it yep. and see like getting into the life of Laura Lamont's life in pictures. Today on the program, Emma Straub is here. Tonight, she'll be reading at Barnes & Noble in Royal Oak and tomorrow at the Crowfoot in Pontiac with the Magnetic Fields. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. We've got Tex Engineering. We'll be right back. Got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel today. Emma Straub is here. Her latest, a novel, Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures. Also on the table, the short story collection, Other People We Married, um, both out with Riverhead Books. Thanks again to Claire McGinnis for um, sending them. Yay. <laughs> and thanks to you, Emma Straub, for finding the studio. And <laughs> It wasn't hard. Ann Arbor is lovely. I just love it. It's a charming place. Well, I'm sure you've charmed it as well. <laughs> yes. uh, Emma, so we've been talking here and we haven't had a chance to actually hear any of the, the book yet. Um, and we were going to briefly talk about your research because you went yeah. to Hollywood. You went to the, the Herrick Library. Yep. And where it seems like 
the people welcomed you with open arms, the librarians. Yeah. And- well, I mean, so so what happened is I, I went to this special collections library in Los Angeles called the Margaret Herrick, um, which is devoted to the movies. It's run by the Academy of Motion Pictures. Um, and I walked in and it's the kind of place where you can't bring a pen. You can only bring a pencil and you can't bring, a, you know, a bottle of water, but you can bring a sweater, but you can bring a computer. I mean, it's like they've got all these rules. Um, you have to lock up your purse in a locker and so you don't steal anything. And um, I went up to the librarians and I said something like, I need to learn about Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, say the time span. <laughs> yeah. And. Uh, they were like, okay, like what? And I was like, like 1930 to 1980. <laughs> and they were like, girl, you need help. Um, so they did. They really did help me a lot. Um, and I, there, there's so much in the book. There's so much in the book that wasn't in my outline, my original outline, because I didn't know it. You know, there was, I learned so much about the studio system and about um, just how Hollywood was and is and um you know i i wish i could say that writing this book really like got it all out of my system and that i no longer find it magical and um intoxicating but i just do i mean i took like a, the little like golf cart tours around the studio and it was just a gog um i love it you know i mean it's, i think you got this from your dad too from yeah. his like oh, I, know. <laughs> I know what's wrong with us um no, we no. like books too i swear um but yes shall i read a little uh, yes so- that would be great and but with this one quick, quick question, mm-hmm. so I don't yeah. forget, Emma, With when you said with your outline, was it something where you were already sort of well on your way with the process, like you were writing, but then you had these ideas of what you wanted to put in about this, the, the studio or the Hollywood elements? Yeah. And those, or did they just become part of the natural scenes that you were writing at that yeah. point? Or no, were... I'm, I mean, I, I really am a firm believer in outlines. I, I don't know why. I just, they help me. Um, I like you know, creating the lines and then filling in the lines. Um, and then, but with this book, I, you know, I did an outline and I, and I wrote a, a whole draft really without doing that much research. I mean, I read a few books, but I, I sort of wanted to figure out um, through writing it where the holes were, like what I actually needed to find out because, you know, the book, um, it skips around quite a lot. So, you know, it doesn't cover every single day of Laura's life. It covers some of the really important uh, time periods, but not everything. So I needed to figure out, oh, okay, so I really need to know about the late 1930s and the early 1940s, but um, not so much the 50s, but more than 60s. You know, so like I, uh, so that's when I went to Hollywood and did all the research when I, when I really knew the periods that I wanted to, that get. seems so wise because then you didn't derail the project by maybe getting lost in research yeah. and having because then maybe those periods would have entered in and then you would have had to, I, right I, yeah and but then there were all these things that I that I just fell in love I mean like when I was doing research I I started reading all about Irving Thalberg who was a, you know a great producer and in the third in the forties really. Um, and I just loved him so much that I had to write him in. And so, I mean, Laura's, you know, she she marries him um, <laughs> because I wanted to marry him, too. Um, he was just so dreamy. Um, but OK, so the, the part that I'm going to read is actually um, at the very beginning of the book when um, 
Laura Lamont is not yet Laura Lamont. She is still just a girl uh, in Door County, Wisconsin, named Elsa Emerson. Um, And she is at her family's theater company called the Cherry County Playhouse. Um, And that's, I think, what you need to know. uh, So she's about uh, 16 here, 17. That summer, and it's 1938, sorry. I'm going to really start now. That summer, Elsa was Gwen in the royal family, though she felt she could have played any of the parts equally well and had memorized the entire thing from start to finish. The play was about a family of aging actors, each of whom was more narcissistic and self-obsessed than the last. Gwen was the family's ingenue, the starlet in training, and got lots of funny screwball lines. Elsa's favorite was, Name me two 17th century stockbrokers. It always got a laugh. The young man John cast as Perry, Gwen's hapless fiancé, was Gordon from Florida. He had a last name, but no one knew what it was. Florida was a funny place to be from, not that Elsa had ever been. She still hadn't left Wisconsin for longer than a one-day trip into Chicago when her father was so nervous about her safety that he wouldn't leave her side, even waiting for her outside the ladies' room in the restaurant where they had lunch. All she knew about Florida was the boll weevil in the ocean— Gordon's parents grew oranges, which he found about as exciting as eating oranges, which he hadn't done since he was a child. Gordon had run away at 17 the previous year. He still had a slight suntan, as though those 17 years of beachy sunshine had soaked into his skin and would never fade, no matter how much he wanted them to. He saw the Cherry County Playhouse as a a perfect halfway mark in between Florida and California. Gordon was planning on taking the bus to Los Angeles as soon as the summer was over, trying his hand at motion pictures. They ran lines at the picnic table behind the barn. As a character, Perry was very stiff, but Gordon was doing a good job of making him likable, attractive even. It was still cool out, and they both had on sweaters as well as sunglasses. That was what Elsa loved about Door County. Even on the prettiest days, you could never forget you were in Wisconsin. There was a clarity to the air that she was sure didn't exist in other states. It didn't seem possible. She had the feeling that Gordon from Florida had no idea where he was and couldn't find it on a map even with a couple of flashing arrows. I think Perry's a dope, Gordon said. Why, because he's a stockbroker? Elsa picked at her lunch cheese sandwiches Mary had made with fat slices of brown bread and a swipe of mustard. Gordon pulled his face to one side because he doesn't know how lucky he is to have Gwen. Elsa laughed. Is that right, she said, without adding a questioning lilt to her voice. She knew it was right, just as she knew from the moment that Gordon from Florida walked into the Cherry County Playhouse that she would walk out with him at the end of the summer, walk all the way to California if she had to. John and Mary would fill their house with surrogate children, all of them alive, all of them equal. Boys and girls from Egg Harbor and Ephraim and Sturgeon Bay would arrange the pillows on the benches and pass out programs, and Elsa would be on the other side of the country. It wasn't that she was in love with Gordon from Florida, whose last name, she would have to learn, was Pitts. Instead, it was that Elsa looked at Gordon and saw a kind and perfectly normal face. Gordon looked like he could end up a leading man, which made Elsa feel like she might be in love after all. Wasn't that how it happened? a girl, a boy, and a long bus ride. If it were a play, Elsa thought it would have a happy ending. Thanks, Emma. You're welcome. (laughs) 
And you're going to be reading more tonight. I sure am. I promise not to read that. I'll read something totally different. <laughs> that sounds like Monty Python. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll like do our little ministry of silly walks and then that'll be good. Yeah. And this is at Barnes and Noble in Royal Oak, seven o'clock. Um, and, and you can hear, you have another chance tomorrow, if tonight doesn't work for you, to hear Emma read at the Crowfoot in Pontiac. Um opening with the magnetic fields probably a little later ish uh yeah i think i go on at uh, eight or eight thirty something like that but with a ukulele a pink with ukulele a tiny pink ukulele <laughs> <laughs> and so emma when you're reading that and reading that scene um are you suddenly it seems like you're you're there sitting kind of next to them eating lunch yeah. as you're reading yeah. it. Yeah. Well actually as I was reading that part I was thinking about all the sandwiches at Zingerman's that I didn't get to have. I only had one. I saw that in your eyes. Yeah, I know. I was like, Oh, there are so many that sounded good. That's what I was thinking. It was the mustard. I was thinking about all the mustard I could eat. The swipe of mustard. Yeah. <laughs> Those really are good sandwiches. You guys got it good here in Ann Arbor. Well, thanks for visiting. You have to come back anytime. I'll, I'll be back tomorrow. I'm never leaving. <laughs> <laughs> News to Mike out there behind the glass. We're, That's right. No, can can Mike have a radio show too here? Come one, come all. Okay, then yes, we're in. His is his is heavy metal, and mine is a chat show. Yeah, that would okay. be that would be great. We actually just uh, like resuscitated a, a heavy metal show, so that would be perfect. We need some more takers on this. So okay. this is great. Okay, and Tex, yeah, yeah, Tex is on board too. <laughs> Thumbs up, um, Emma. So where are some of the other places that you'll be going to read um, in case someone listening can catch you in a town near them? Yeah. Uh, so after. Um after Pontiac, Michigan, uh, I will be in Pittsburgh with the magnetic fields at the um, Warhol Museum. And then I will be uh, in Washington, D.C. at the Sixth and I Synagogue. Um, the first night is sold out, uh, but the second night is not. So come on down. And you are a New York City girl, even though you've you spent some time where your family harkens from. Yes. In Wisconsin. And it sounds like you also liked L.A. Oh, more yeah. than you thought you would. Oh, it's so nice. You should see the sunshine. I mean, it's just crazy. It's criminal how nice it is out there. <laughs> but New York City. New York City. And Brooklyn. Yes. You, that's... That's where you're staking your flag. That's where my house is and my cats are. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you also seem to think it's a good place for writers. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's just lousy with writers. I mean, they're <laughs> everywhere. You can't, you can't, you know, walk to the subway without tripping over a few. But you find it inspiring. Well, it's, it, <laughs> it is very nice. I know I do. I mean, I, I like to make jokes, but it, it, it is really nice because I, I do feel like I have a real community of writers there. And, you know, I mean, it's sort of the same. As the, in, that you have in an MFA program or something like that where you're just surrounded by people and you feel like you're all working on stuff together and talking about it. It, it is, I, I feel very lucky to have that in, in New York. And then, and you're, you're going to be tweeting probably soon. <laughs> what's your next tweet, Emma? Oh my God, what's my next tweet? Oh my God. Or is that too much pressure? It'll, it'll be probably about how much I like this radio program. <laughs> No, I feel like I've twisted your arm. <laughs> like, folks, you heard it here. Emma Straub likes living right. I think, I think it's. I think it's actually going to be that. I'm from now on. I'm just going to be called Tex. I mean, I could be a Tex, right? We're going to go out now and say. <laughs>
<laughs> you be Emma. <laughs> okay, I'll be Emma. Text Straub. Nice. Nicely done. Um, tonight, Emma reads at Barnes and Noble and Royal Oak at seven o'clock. Tomorrow, the Crowfoot Pontiac with the Magnetic Fields. Her novel, Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures. Her collection, story collection, Other People We Married. Emma Straub, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. Thanks to Tex for engineering. Thanks for Mike for being behind the glass, too. And until next time, I'm T. Hetzel. <laughs> Every day it's a getting closer, going faster than a roller coaster. Love like yours will surely come my way. Hey, hey, hey. Every day it's a getting faster. Everyone said go ahead and ask her. Love like yours will surely come my way. Hey, hey, hey. Seems a little longer every way Love's a little stronger Come what may Do you ever long for True love from me This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, November 14th, 2012. In Los Angeles, I'm Dorian Marina. Coming up, Israel launches a major military attack on Gaza, killing a top military leader and a number of civilians. Workers across Europe go on strike to protest austerity measures. We'll take you to the streets of Spain. And we'll look at what Congress is debating as they return to Washington, including a cybersecurity bill. Those stories and more, but first, this news. I'm Jess Burns with headlines for FSRN. An Israeli airstrike killed Hamas's top military leader today. More Israeli airstrikes followed, leaving a number of people dead and scores of others injured. Hamas has reportedly fired back into Israel and is preparing for war. FSRN's Rami Almagari reports from Gaza. The Israeli army says it killed Hamas's top military leader, Ahmad al-Jabari. Al-Jabari was riding in a car in Gaza City when an Israeli drone destroyed the vehicle. The airstrike kicked off a new offensive on the Gaza Strip, Israel is calling Operation Pillar of Defense. The military says it is targeting Gaza-based armed groups and weapons stores across the territory, but civilian casualties are already mounting. The assassination of Al-Jabari was followed by at least more 20 Israeli airstrikes this evening, killing a number of Palestinians in different areas. Among those killed is a four-year-old girl in southern Gaza City. Medics say more than 